Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv. Hello and welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. This is Ziv Raviv and together with me is Shachar Erez. And today in episode 7, we're going to talk about vulnerability. We're going to explore a story of a couple that had an issue with vulnerability and also a tool that you can use in order to overcome certain problems in your relationship with your spouse that is related to that. As always, the goal of this podcast is to help you guys with practical tools that will make your marriage more generous. And in order to do that, in a professional way. We just need uh, someone professional on the team. And that's why we have our very own counselor and a marriage, marriage counselor and relationship uh, counselor, our very own Shachar Erez. Hello, Shachar. How are you? Hi, Ziv. I'm happy to be here. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. Today, we're going to talk about vulnerability and through the story of Emily and Charlie. And I wonder, you know, even before we go into actually talking about Emily and Charlie, I, I can listen, maybe someone is raising his eyebrow, like what the connection is between, uh, between vulnerability and, and, and a good relationship. Can you just answer that one really quick? If they ask me what is the number one key for long-lasting, happy, nourishing relationship, I would say there's, there isn't a one key, but if they pressed me, I would say it's vulnerability. Wow. Meaning, for me, in my perspective, vulnerability is the most important thing a couple can do for each other. When we dare to be vulnerable, every time we dare to be vulnerable, we fall in love again with each other. Wow, the it's heart that deep. That deep, really. The heart opens, there's closeness, there's intimacy. We also deep into, deepen into ourselves and deepen into our partner. We understand ourselves better. We understand better our needs and our partner needs. It's, it's really, it creates magic in a relationship. Yeah. In a way, being vulnerable is like a question mark uh, at the end of what you do. Like, uh, it's not what you say necessarily. Sometimes you are vulnerable by, by saying something. But the fact that you were willing to be vulnerable, it's, it's just like not knowing what will happen next. This is why you're vulnerable because you might get hurt. You might, you know, something that you're asking for might not be accepted and so on. And coming to a relationship with some question marks, with some curiosity, with some, you know, opportunities to get hurt as well as, you know, uh, feel good. Um, that is real life. That is, you know, without those question marks, it's just going to be so boring and not efficient and not going to work for you from my point of view. So I think in life in general, you know, coming to the world from a place of vulnerability, from a place of uh, accepting the influence of the world on you uh, in a way is also key. Uh, really, really cool uh, topic. Let's try to understand this topic even deeper by talking about Emily and Charlie. So take it away, Shachar. Tell us a little bit about them. 
So Emily and Charlie were a young couple. They were in their early 30s. They were married for around three years and had a two-year-old girl. They came to me because they were fighting about silly stuff, like a lot of couples do. But for them, it was about the chores around the house. They were both uh, working. He was working full-time job as a mechanical engineer, and she was a, a dance instructor and also taking care of, of their uh, girl. And he was uh, complaining about how the house was organized and how clean it was. And she was feeling like she was working really hard on the house and, and with the kid and uh, outside as an instructor. And then he's always complaining. And he felt like he is working full-time job, coming back home, spending time with the kid, and then doing all the chores around the house. He kept saying all the chores as if she doesn't do anything. Wow. By the way, using that word, I do all the chores, that sounds very much like we discussed uh, on the last episode, like uh, it's, it's criticism, you know. Right. It's like Whenever. I always, you never, right? Exactly. Whenever we use these words, it should raise a flag that something is off here, that we're not seeing reality as it is, because almost nothing happens always or never. Yeah. And then it's, it's poisonous, and, then, and there is an antidote, antidote for that. So Which is uh, vulnerability. But, you yes. know, how this poison affected Emily and Charlie is they stopped having sex. Ooh. Right, that's a big one, right? Fighting on small chores sounds uh, silly, but then not having sex for six months, that's a big thing. It starts to hurt the relationship. It's hard to come back from that, to come back to sex life, to satisfying sex life. So this is now really uh, a situation. They're not just fighting. They are, you know, they don't have any intimate relationship for, for how long? Around six months by wow. the time when they came to me. Wow, that that's a point. That's a, a red flag altogether uh, for you to you know to consider some help, maybe some counseling, um, right. if you reach that point. Let me, You're right. Let me he actually didn't believe in counseling. He didn't want to come to counseling. Mm. But six months without sex, that uh, yeah. changed his mind, and he realized they need help. Yeah, and, and it's really an important topic, I feel, because even if you do have sex, but it's not very frequent, uh, and when I say very, it's very, it's different from one, one couple to another, obviously, but um, I imagine that even, you know, having only once a month having sex is, is, is something that should raise uh, some, some sort of a flag in terms of your yeah. communication skills. Yeah, some experts say once a month is sexless marriage. Wonderful. I love this definition. Yeah, 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 yeah. Less uh, than once a month, less than 12 times a year is a sexless marriage and it should raise a huge flag and you should go to therapy and get help. Yeah. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with getting help. You already right now by talking by listening to, to this podcast, you're getting some help, but uh, it, there's nothing wrong with just, you know, even by yourself or with your spouse to go and get some counseling. This is really something we believe in. Yeah, you know, these guys, Emily and, and Charlie, they came for four sessions. 
Yeah. Four. That's it. And the relationship completely changed from not having sex for six months. They fell in love again. They were, it was amazing to, to see them. Wow. But let's talk about a little bit about what happened with them. Sure. So it was really clear that there was a lot of shame between them. He felt like a victim, like everything is done to him and he has to do everything around the house. And then he's, you know, he would make a face and she would feel bad, like she's not good enough. And they just threw the shame at each other. And shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed. And because we're flawed, we're not worthy of love and belonging. Meaning something we've done or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And as human beings, we are born into connection. We are hardwired for connection. Our psychology is all about connection. So if we believe that we're flawed and because of that we're unworthy of connection, it really hurts. It's really painful. And we need it. We need the connection. Exactly. We need, as babies, we needed to survive. But even as grown-ups, we needed in order to, to thrive, to feel good, to be happy, to be healthy. Yeah. <clears throat> so there was a lot of shame between them. And the antidote to shame is actually being vulnerable. Shame cannot handle light. <laughs> you know, if, when we talk about shame, it disappears. And, and let me talk a little bit about the difference between women and men with shame because the research finds that women and men experience shame differently. For women, shame is a web of unattainable expectations that say, do it all, do it perfectly. You know, we talked in different episodes how women see more details and those details are yelling at them, take care of me, take care of me. Yeah, and of course, they can take care of everything. So there's shame around that. In a sense, shame is something that is, I, I imagine, very common for women in that way, because many of them has this, uh, you know, what, what Alison Armstrong uh, explains, uh, like diffused awareness. And then basically they get all the surroundings is shouting at them, fix me, fix me. And they have this perfect uh, uh, lady, you know, levitating inside a brain or just aside them always telling them I ah, that could have been done better and that should be fixed and that should be fixed and they just live this way with all those voices uh, and that's normal by the way that's just the way that diffused awareness works uh, but it creates a lot of shame because they constantly hear that they are you know not doing the things that they should do and how is right. it for for men so, so before I go to men I, I come back to Charlie and, and, and Emily Charlie was a little bit like this uh, inner uh, perfect woman that Alison Armstrong talks about. And whenever something was not perfect around the house, Emily would already feel bad about it because she has this inner perfect woman. He would add more criticism, more shame to that. You know, he was an exaggeration of that perfect inner woman. So, so that just made the, the cycle of shame uh, worse. Yeah. For him, just like for most men, shame was often related to the fear of being perceived as weak. We can't tolerate per being perceived as weak or as failing. Hmm. Yeah. And that, that actually the feeling of shame that, ar that arises from that? From feeling... Yeah. 
I, I always thought it was like just a disrespect. Like this is what I, with the way that I explain it with when I feel um, that I've been shown as not strong enough or weak is that I feel disrespected. But that's, you know, the other way of looking at the shame itself. So when someone looks at you in a disrespectful way, you might feel shame. Mm. So what, what's prob- the problem is not the disrespect. The problem, like from my point of view, is it just makes me feel shame. Well, in a, in a relationship, both are problems. You don't want your partner to look at you in a disrespectful way. You want to create a culture of, of respect. And when we don't respect each other, shame arises. Awesome. So, so men just don't want to be weak. It, it rises sh- shame uh, in them when they are presented with facts or words or actions that make them feel weak. Um, and that, that how, how is it important? How was that important for Emily and Charlie to understand the differences on the way that they perceive shame? So the first step for cultivating shame resiliency is to understand shame. The first step is always psychoeducation and starting to realize how shame shows up for me, how it shows up in my body, where I collapse, what kind of inner conversation I have in my head. So it starts with a cognitive understanding of what shame is in general and what shame is for me. So that's what I did for Emily and Charlie, and they really got it. The next step is to start uh, fighting shame or uh, creating um, antidotes to shame. And the best one is authenticity, is vulnerability. And what I did with Emily and Charlie, I just had them to have them talk to each other directly with a talking stick. The idea of the talking stick is to slow down the conversation so they don't get too triggered and to help them connect to their hearts. I actually had them hold the stick, take it to the heart, speak from the heart, and then give the stick to the other. And the other takes the stick and first takes it to the heart and only then speaks. So it really slows down the conversation. It really focuses on the heart and not so much about thoughts and ideas and opinions and criticism. And that really helps becoming more and more vulnerable. The The depth of a vulnerability is uh, almost endless. It takes time. There's no one point that I become vulnerable. There's more and more and more. And I had them talk about you know, the stuff that was bothering them about the chores around the house. And as they deepened in that, they could see that there were actually much deeper needs underneath underneath those chores. Some, some, some needs were for partnership, partnership. Some needs were for uh, appreciation. And when they heard each other's needs, it really changed the dynamic. It wasn't about the chores anymore. They, it was easy for them to be generous with each other and to understand each other better. I call this process negotiating needs in intimacy. Coming from the assumption that my partner wants the best for me and I want the best for her. And that even though right now it seems like a conflict or, you know, for Emily and Charlie, it was about who was doing more chores, but we have plenty of other uh, 
conflicts and really staying with the frustration that this conflict arrive, uh, brings up and deepening into what is my deeper need, what is my deeper feeling around this and then finding ways to collaboratively and creatively finding win-win solutions that help both partners feel satisfied. So basically what you're saying is when they expressed their vulnerability, when they were talking from their heart and slowing down the response because you cannot talk back when you don't have the stick, right? And when they expressed more and more layers of vulnerability, that created light that shone on top of their shame and made it disappear. And it made... Uh, them see each other in this in this new way, which is we are both partners here. Each of us care about the partnership, and when we do something, when we complain about something, it's not because we want to be bad. It's because we have some some deeper need that is not met. And by talking about it, they understood each other better and were able to uh, start to you know assume that the other side has a reason why he's doing it. It has a reason that is good for the partnership, for the, for the uh, connection. Right, coming from a positive perspective, assuming that the other has a good reason for what they're doing. And this process allows to reveal that good reason. Both of them were the kind of people that, you know, that didn't show needs. And through this process, they learned how to, sh- to, to first find out what they need and then express it to each other. For her, it was a lot about resting in his presence, being able to let go of responsibilities. For him, it was a lot about partnership. He was really used to do things on his own, but then feeling like yeah, used, you know, like he was doing everything. So... Part of what he had to learn was how to ask for what he needs and feel uh, more like there's a partnership between them. Wow. And this is very specific, but every one of us, you know, in a relationship with your spouse has those moments of, of shame and those moments of, you know, uh, conflicts that uh, has a deeper reason and through being vulnerable, through uh, talking about your needs from a place where you know that there is a partnership and you want to listen, you want to, you know, not get hurt from the criticism from, for, or from the complaint, but to find the way to discuss it in nonviolent communication, in a generous way, you know, even just coming to the relationship and stating, you know, both of us are here together as partners. We both care about the partnership. We both want it to work. That is a very generous thing to do. And then talking in a vulnerable way, that is uh, definitely the, the right thing to do inside the partnership, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what is this tool that you've been working with them? Because I understand, if I understand correctly, four weeks later, like four sessions later, they went back into having a sexual relationship. Is that right? It's true because they, they really took what I offered and, and used it great. And they even created 
new practices. So Charlie loved, really got the whole idea of shame and the power of vulnerability to heal it and took on a practice of daring to be vulnerable with Emily every day, at least once. Mm. And Emily loved the practice so much, you know, she, it made her feel generous and she started practicing it as well. And, and they discovered vulnerability shows up in many ways. It's not just about uh, negotiating needs in intimacy. Apologizing can be vulnerable. Sometimes giving a compliment can be vulnerable. For them, asking for what they needed was super vulnerable. Brought up a lot of shame. Uh, initiating sex, especially after six months of not having sex, uh, can feel vulnerable. Yeah. And then saying no to it might feel vulnerable. You know, there's the, the, it shows up in so many different ways and they really explored it and they did a lot of work between sessions. That's part of the reason the process was so quick. Yeah. And, and yeah, after uh, becoming masters of vulnerability, their emotional intimacy was, uh, of course, really deep deepen now and 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 they found out this was the challenge for 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 sex for sexual intimacy they didn't have emotional intimacy so emily didn't want to open up and have sex which makes sense most women want to feel safe want to feel connected in order to to have sex so Emily was just a normal woman in this way and Charlie was giving her so much hard time. She just closed up and didn't want connection. If she doesn't want connection, she doesn't want sex. When they were able to change that, they came back to a happy sexual life and they even deepened their sexual intimacy, which made sex even more satisfying and more free and more fun. Yeah, and and we will talk about sex eventually in this uh, season of the Generous Marriage Podcast because it's a topic by itself that is important for 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 a relationship with your spouse and for maintaining a generous marriage as well. But for now, I can just imagine that they've created this this game almost I can call it that every day they express vulnerability. They know that they are in this journey together. It's really every time they did it, the other side could feel you care about the partnership. You care about me. And that, that made them uh, go back to communicating about stuff that were very hard for them to communicate. It allowed them to understand one another. And uh, it's just, just uh, they managed to do the homework. So in four weeks time, bring a huge change a huge change like it they didn't have sex for six months and then after one month of working on it and caring about it look at how huge their their life changed for like emily and for and for charles and that can happen to you too guys if you do the homework and so uh shachar you prepared some sort of like a bonus pdf file that explains another way of doing uh, uh this vulnerability exercise uh, can you, right. can you tell yeah, we, we, we just made a game out of it because vulnerability always feels vulnerable, right? That's why you call it vulnerability. And, and, being, and feeling vulnerable is, is scary. But it also, when we go through that, it also can bring out joy 
and happiness and playfulness. And really, Charlie and Emily taught me something about how fun it can be. So we just created a game out of it that you can use with your partner, daring to be vulnerable every day and bringing playfulness into your relationship through this. And, and when you gamify an element of communication with your spouse, that uh, for, at least for the men, we, we really love points. We love to work for points. But it also creates um, curiosity for, for the ladies. And it's basically, you know, it's fun. It's just purely fun and good for you. And so all you need, you know, is some time with each other and, and the dice and all the details will be explained even, uh, you know, when you go and download this bonus PDF from generousmarriage.com. So if you go to episode seven, you can download this document that it will explain to you the rules of the game. And if you play this game with your spouse, you, you're going to have two different versions. One that even might end up with uh, some intimacy and one without. So check with your spouse if she wants the version of the game that has intimacy or not. Basically, we just want you to feel confident and uh, like at ease with this game so that you don't uh, use it to, to, I don't know, like don't trick the game. Don't trick the game. Yeah. Check with your spouse what type of, uh, of a game you like and then uh, go for it. So th- this game uh, is, is going to be really fun. I'm going to play this game with my wife too, Rotten. I'll report back how was it. And let me ask you this, Shachar. Is this process of being vulnerable, was it researched anywhere? Yes. So Brené Brown is the number one, not number one, Brené Brown is the researcher that makes shame popular these days. Shame is not a popular feeling. It's one of the least... Uh, it, it, shame is not a popular feeling. It's really hard experience and nobody likes to feel shame. And apparently, very few people like to talk about shame. So you can find hundreds of books in psychology about emotions, about anger, about fear, about jealousy. You can only find four about shame. Very little. But in the last two decades, Brene Brown a researcher from the University of Houston has been studying shame, vulnerability, courage, and empathy. She became really famous a few years ago through her super super popular TED Talk about vulnerability, which has 35 million views by now. And then she gave another Another famous TED Talk about listening to shame, which also has around 9 million views. So super popular. And she's a researcher and a storyteller. She has a lot of data about shame and the power of vulnerability to heal it. And she just knows really well how to tell that story. So I really recommend watching her TED Talks and going to her website. She has a lot of resources about that. She's really interesting. Wow. So guys, you will be able to download the, the, the PDF and the game, but also to, to get the links to uh, Brené Brown's wonderful TED Talks. This is something that you should see with your spouse before you play the vulnerability game uh, that right. you, you share. Just that will be an amazing night for you 
Uh, we, I guarantee that. Uh, and this brings us to the end of yet another fun and educational episode of the Generous Marriage Podcast. We talked today about Emily and Charlie and how they've experienced um, friction in their marriage and fights, but after using the power of vulnerability to heal shame, they came back into uh, a deeper connection and get, got back to having sex as well. And that was within, you know, four weeks of, of some work and that's just wonderful and very, very optimistic. We talked about the game of vulnerability, how to, to gamify it. And we also discussed, you know, the research by Brené Brown about how important it is to understand what is shame and what is vulnerability and how uh, one heals the other. Uh, this has been so much fun. Shachar, Shachar, any, any words of advice for the ending of the, of the episode? Yeah, that it's really about daring to be vulnerable. And when you dare to be vulnerable, your life becomes more authentic, more meaningful. Your connections get stronger. And there's just more joy and happiness. Yeah. Try it. Amen to that, brother Shachar. And guys, uh, we always ask this, but it's, it's really important. Like people need to hear about the power of shame and how to heal it through vulnerability. So if you only do one thing for us today, just take this uh, podcast and tell, tell, tell about it to some friend of yours, maybe over coffee at work. Maybe go to Facebook and post uh, generousmarriage.com and, and let people know about, about this podcast. It will create accountability for yourself about actually doing the work and it will help you in your journey to have a better and more satisfying, generous marriage. Thanks again for listening and see you next week on the Generous Marriage Podcast. Thank you, Ziv. Thank you, everyone. See you next week. Bye-bye.